0: In our baptismal covenant, I ask on behalf of the church a question that we all answer. Will you persevere in resisting evil, and whenever you sin, repent and return to the Lord? Will you persevere in resisting evil, and whenever you sin, repent and return to the Lord? the answer that we will say in unison is, I will, with God's help. I really appreciate the verb choice in this question. Will you persevere in resisting evil? Perseverance is needed in resisting evil. Our news of this past week, even these past 30 days, brings to light the perseverance needed in resisting evil. Perseverance is a hard task. It requires a willingness to keep at it. Personally, I think that I can value, be tempted to value things by a sense of accomplishment. Well, as you probably know, in fighting evil, there is always more to fight. And so it does not give us that that satisfactory reward of accomplishment. Additionally, persevering reminds us of the complicated nature of fighting evil. It's not a little task we can do half awake, not without a lot of practice. And so when we are tired, or when we need to prioritize our list of things to do and we value it by how many things we can accomplish in a particular amount of time, fighting evil probably falls to the bottom. Will you persevere in resisting evil? Will you persevere, the church asks us, The church asks us because we believe that God asks that of us. Our gospel lesson today assists us in reflecting on this desire and intention to resist evil. It's a familiar story. In fact, most all of our culture knows it. It's one of those similar things of a Christian heritage, that is shared by all people like Amazing Grace. Everybody knows Amazing Grace. Everyone knows the story of the Good Samaritan. They may not be able to tell it to you in its progression with great detail, but they get the gist of it. And the phrase is even used. Who was the Good Samaritan? You'll see it kicked around in common dialogue. This story is only told in Luke's Gospel and it does draw us to a particular truth. The lawyer comes, it says, to test Jesus. Now, we can put upon these words um, familiar ways of understanding of 21st century Western culture, and I want to bring you to the period in which this was written, before the 100s. A lawyer was a scribe. It was someone who knew the Torah inside and out, and most young men were raised to know the Torah, you were schooled from um, beginning, before your bar mitzvah. And it was something that you dedicated yourself to. And those that were really good went on to be rabbis. And so this scribe knows the law. He knows the Torah deeply. And he is coming to Jesus the rabbi to test him. To see how well he knows the Torah. We do this kind of thing when we have dialogue about big things, even maybe we find it fun to debate with another person on a particular item. We want to know what they know. And so this lawyer comes to Jesus to test him. He asks him a simple question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus puts it back on him and says, what does the law tell you? And he remembers. You shall love the Lord your God With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, You have answered correctly. But the next part of this story I find particularly intriguing. But wanting to justify himself, wanting to justify himself, wanting to find himself in the right, he puts it back to Jesus and says, Who is my neighbor? How often we justify ourselves, we look to justify ourselves in our actions. I have rarely found anyone who takes action without some sort of justification. And the law gives many ways to justify yourself. But Jesus challenges the man's understanding with this story. And he changes the framework of justification. It is not the law Jesus brings this man to understand, but it is love that justifies. What would love have you do? It is love that justifies. Paul talks about this in his letter in his letters, particularly to the Romans and to the Galatians, when he talks about being justified by faith. Wow, has Paul experienced this in his life. And he can't shut up about it. He sees how easily people justify themselves by keeping the Torah and how they wreak havoc on the goodness of God's creation with their intention for justification to be right in their following of God. Paul says, you know what, I was one of those guys. In fact, you could hardly touch me. I was that good. He goes through a whole list of his credentials in one of his other letters. And he found in a relationship with Jesus, everything got turned around. And he was more grounded and more liberated when he rooted himself in the love that he was shown in Christ. He found his rightness in his faith. It was in his faith in Jesus, the resurrected Lord, that he knew what to do. What would love have you do? What would love have you do? There are lots of other reasons, lots of other justifications. I dare say, all this week and several weeks ago in Orlando... All of those people had justifications. Every single one of them. What would love have you do? This is why we must persevere. Love calls us more deeply into places that we are even afraid to go. We're not sure we're equipped for it. And Paul says, you know what? Actually, you're not. But the good news is, God is with you. God completes it. You are going to go in feeling ill-equipped. You're going to have a million reasons why this isn't going to work. Listen and trust in God. Let God work in this situation. By justifying yourself in love, in faith, you will see God's work happen, take place. One way that we do this as a church is enter into the community even when we don't even know what all it entails, but in an effort to reflect God's love in the world. I have the privilege, I feel, as your rector, to get to witness that in so many ways. Every one of you sees a slice of the St. Stephen's pie, and hopefully you see the the full picture, both its challenges and its blessings. I get to see... The whole picture of all those slices added up together. One thing that also happened this week was a decision in regard to resettling a refugee family through the efforts of the Richfield community. It has been a marvel to witness God's work. It was a little over a year ago, last summer, or maybe it was May, I don't remember, but it was warmish. A little over a year ago that the vestry received a letter from a parishioner pleading that we do something in response to the refugee crisis. I think pleading is a very active and sizable word. The letter came across with the urgency and the longing and the desperation and the uncertainty, but just the clarity that we should do something. We agreed as a vestry, but now what? Some of you remember Elaine Sleeth, who was our deacon intern last year, and I said to her, will you work on this, please? Talk to some folks that I am aware of who also share this same longing. Here they are. And so she did. And with that little team of three or four people, they began to figure out what they know and what they don't know, what they knew, what they didn't know, and to discover what might be a next step. They had an initial meeting, maybe some of you went to that, it was last fall, perhaps in September, maybe in November, I'm not really quite sure. But there was some information shared about what we know and what we don't know. And from there, people said, I'll show up in a couple of weeks again if we want to talk about this. And so started a series of meetings. The leadership of those meetings turned over three times. It was almost like a baton got passed to the next runner, each only able to run the distance they were capable of, their work engagements, whatever it might be. And they passed the baton to the next person. And so what has evolved from that is a group that's come together every other week, all spring, gathered all of their information, has been meeting in the third floor of North Hall every other week to discuss how we can respond to the refugee crisis in the world, the greatest of all his- in all history. 51 million people. 51. And the decision was made on Thursday night to go forward. It was beautiful to see around that table, yes, a couple of St. Stephen's folks. Some were away, happened, so happened on this night. But even more so, Almost two dozen people from our community, different congregations, store owners on Main Street. All of these folks who care about what love would ask us to do in response to this crisis. The application to IRIS, the immigration um, resettlement organization in New Haven, the application we have to fill out has a lot of empty spaces in a sense. Questions that still need to be answered. We haven't even raised the funds to make this possible. But the answer has been given. What would love have us do? And we feel confident, that Ridgefield Resettlement community, that in our community, all of the funds will be raised. St. Stephen's has had the blessing of being the platform for that effort. It's through St. Stephen's that people have come together meeting in the space that we have a roof for, that we have electricity and chairs, tables. We don't charge them to meet in our space. And it is we who are going to support the collection of the donations so that they can be paid out as needed. What would love have us do? There's a lot of evil in the world, and we must persevere in resisting it. We will not find justification in our own righteousness. We won't have any good excuse when we stand before the throne of God. Because God calls us to respond in love. In faith in Him, He asks us to take the next step forward. It will be scary, it will be unfamiliar, it will make us nervous. And that's why Paul talks about being justified by faith. In Christ, we discover the good work that God is doing in the world. Through Christ, we have the means to share that love. And in Christ, we are raised to new life. This is the baptism all of us share. This is the baptism in which these three young people will be baptized this morning. What would love have you do? Amen.